good morning. Welcome to Rimrock Church. Welcome to Rimrock Church, Angela. Oh, that's sweet, Tom. <laughs> welcome. You're welcome. Hey, let's lift up the name of Jesus this morning and uh, just enjoy him, enjoy each other. Here we go. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing when the evening come on that's the lord oh my soul oh my soul worship his holy name sing like never before oh my soul i'll worship your This morning, God, and on that day, and on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forever, come on, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. All right, we're going to go back and sing that first verse again. Come on, let's lift it up. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. All right, you're rich in love. You're rich in love and you're so too. 
your holy name, God. There we are. I don't know where that's coming from. Is it me? Something? Be quiet. Was it me? There it goes. It obeyed. That's amazing. Hey, it's Palm Sunday, right? I think we need to do something like this. Hosanna. Hosanna. You are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Hosanna, Hosanna, come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Hosanna, 
morning. That is godly music, by the way, just so you know. There'll be a lot of heavy metal in heaven. Heaven, heavy metal, get it? All right. Uh, some of you need more coffee. We have plenty of coffee for you downstairs. Good morning. My name is Michael, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. I have a privilege and the honor to work with a great team. Uh, we want to welcome you this morning, and if you're here for the first time, um, welcome. We love we want to thank you for being here and joining us. Um, in the front of your seat, if you're here for the first time, we have these connection cards. And if you just fill one of those out and bring it to the information table, we have a gift for you. We want to uh, give you more information about who we are, what we do, and uh, why we're here. So um, as you know, my job here is to make a couple of announcements. We have, uh, obviously, Easter is next week, and I know every one of you has marked your calendar for Good Friday and Easter Sunday, right? Don't lie, you're in the house of God. No, but we have a Good Friday services coming up. We're going to have baptism, so if any of you are thinking or been praying about getting baptized, this is a great opportunity. Please uh, contact one of the pastors or the office will get it set up for you. Um, our Friday, Good Friday service will be here, and uh, the baptism will be 
inside, not outside. I say this is a good opportunity to get baptized. That river is cold. And uh, even in the summer, it's freezing. Uh, so make sure you mark your calendar. And that's, uh, we'd like to know if you want to get baptized by April 5th, if all possible, please. Um, and if you contact us on the 6th, we're going to say no. We're not going to say no to you, but we would like to have all the information that we need. And part of it is because we want to put the testimonies and the stories in a booklet so we could uh, have it all ready for the service. And, of course, Easter service is on Sunday. We will be at... Uh, what is currently called Monument, am I correct? Used to be Civic Center. We'll be at the big theater as you walk into your right. And I don't remember the entrance, but it's the main entrance that we always go into. So, uh, and more of that information is in the bulletin that you got. If you haven't gotten one, please feel free to grab one on your way out. And also, when you sat down, hopefully you didn't sit on this card, you just moved it over, but we have these on the seats. And this is obviously have all the information about what we're doing uh, for our Easter service and Good Friday. But also, it's an opportunity for you to invite somebody. If uh, you've been praying for someone, uh, people tend to come to Easter's and Christmas. Uh, and this would be a great opportunity to invite them to come, give them the card. And we've heard some really great stories about these cards and uh, some of the things we've done in the past where some people just hold on to them and uh, eventually they begin to come to church and have a relationship with Christ. So... God works in mysterious ways, right? We just simply his instrument to be used for his glory. Um, since I don't have anything else to do, I'm going to ask you to stand up, please. Nothing bad this time. This is all going to be good. Uh, just try to meet someone, uh, greet someone, tell them that Jesus loves them. And we get back into worship. Thank you. you love each other. It's beautiful. Angela?
the Alleluia. Here we go.
that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death, and the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of all who had come to the Father are restored, and the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the
Father God, we do praise you, Jesus, for coming, for dying for us, for giving us your life, for setting your Holy Spirit within us. We thank you for your beautiful plan. And as Nick comes up, God, we know that you want to speak to us. God, that you will speak through him. And if you open the eyes of our hearts and tear open the the veil, the robe that covers us from really hearing and understanding you, God. We're trusting you to do that now. Thank you. You are faithful, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Larry, go grab that blue ball, would you? So we were um, praying before the service And today I have a lot of scripture to read to you. Um, And I know sometimes when someone else is reading scripture that it is easy to kind of lose track. Uh, So if you have that glazed look in your eye or if you start dozing off, it's baseball season. And uh, my arm is already in pretty good shape. So this right here, I'm sitting right here. So do your best to stay locked in when I'm reading scripture, okay? We are, we got three weeks left of our study and our our sermon series of the book of Revelation, and so we're going to do a quick little overview. Uh, Part of the reason I want to do this is, one, for those of you who haven't been with us, I think it's good to set the stage. Two, my experience is that each time that I kind of forget the, or am reminded about what the main points of this book are, uh, I start to get confused. And so I think it's very helpful to go back and remind each other what is the main point that God is trying to convey to our hearts. And so we'll try to do that groundwork fairly quickly. Uh, We're going to be in Revelation chapter 20. That's the text that's going to be projected at some point uh, today. But we're going to be bouncing around Matthew all over the place. And so you don't have to look up the verses, uh, but listen attentively if you can. So I'm going to pray for us right quick. Father God, we thank you already for all that's happened today in our lives uh, as individuals, as a body, um, during this service, just reminders with the music, um, the, the interaction with people, how good you are to us. And uh, we thank you for um, just the gift of your Holy Spirit. And I do pray, Spirit, that you would uh, move in our hearts as individuals, you would move among us, that your living word would infuse us with hope and peace. Amen. While Jesus was on earth declaring the kingdom of heaven has come, the kingdom of heaven is within you, the kingdom of heaven is around you, he used all different kinds of similes to kind of express what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so in Matthew 13 and in Matthew 20, he says, uh, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and then he sold all he had and he bought the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one of great value, he sold all that he had and he bought it. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea, gathering fish of every kind, and it was filled, they separated the good from the bad. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning and hired laborers for his vineyard. 
What's Jesus doing here? He's using parables, all different kinds of similes, to give us clarity of what the kingdom of heaven is like. So which is it? Is it the pearl? Is it the landowner? Is it the merchant? It's all of them, right? Like he's trying to show us, uh, think of something that you already know about, and now that gives a one portion of what the kingdom of heaven is like, and then here's another idea, and here's another idea. Basically, it's all these examples trying to describe what? The same thing, what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I think in many ways, the book of Revelation is doing the same thing. It has some different language. It's uh, apocalyptic literature, so as most of you know, there's, there's a lot of poetry. These are visions given to John, uh, meant to be written down and read to those people and read to us today. But as I read this, there's my, what I'm starting to believe more and more is that many of these things are different ways of explaining real similar things. And so again, uh, apocalypse means to reveal. Revelation is the revealing of what is, the revealing of what is to come. And so I really believe that as we read through the book of Revelation, uh, God is trying to express and anchor in our hearts uh, a couple things that we'll talk about today, but namely the praise and the glory of Jesus Christ, the creator, the savior, and the king of kings. So as we read through this, and we have some language that is not real clear and some language that is clear, uh, remember the main point. Uh, one of the things that has been impressed upon me is so many times in Revelation, again, it's not always chronological, and so many times you get this great crescendo in this book, and you think it's over, and then he says, then I saw, and then he, he unpacks it a different way, or he goes on. And so let me give you a few examples. This is where you pay attention. All right, Revelation 1, 6, 7, and 8 says this. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Seems like a period right there. But Revelation 4, 11. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. There's one of the main things. Revelation 5, 10, 12 and 13. And you have made them kingdoms and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked around and the thrones and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is around them. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Five different times in this book it says the elders fell down and worshipped. 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 Today's Palm Sunday. And so that is a time the Christian church celebrates 
about 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ entered into Jerusalem, uh, committed to take our death and give us his freedom. And remember, as he rides on a donkey in a humble state, ready to die, his followers were laying things in front of him, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, basically praise and glory and honor. What we're reading in Revelation is the second time this is going to happen, but not just a few people in the Middle East. We're reading about a time when everything in creation will bow down and do the same. And I will be among them. Revelation 7. We'll get to Revelation 20. Hold on. We've got to remember what's important. Revelation 7, 15 through 17. It says, Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he sits on the throne, and with his shelter he shelters them with his presence. And they shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst, and the sun shall not strike them. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, he will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of the living water, and God will wipe every tear away from their eye. So again, over and over and over, it's, exa it's exalting Jesus Christ. And through this book, it seems like that should be the end. And then it keeps going. So my point is, when reading this, when talking about this, we need to recognize and remember the main idea. We need to take idea for idea and not get too lost in the weeds. So in Revelation 20, if you have your Bibles turned there, otherwise this is going to be projected, and we'll start unpacking uh, our passage for the day. I'll tell you what, let's, let's stand up, if you're able, and we'll read this together. Actually, I'll read this, you listen, but you get me. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the keys to the bottomless pit in a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan. And he bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit. And he shut it and sealed it over him so that she might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and for those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. If you remember, the, the beast is a, a, a tool of Satan. They came to life, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. It'll explain the second death in a minute. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are from the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. And their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Verse 11. And then I saw a great white throne and him whose seat was seated on it. 
And from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Be seated. So we're going to start talking about this thousand-year reign. Uh, the Christian church has typically taken three stance uh, of what this could look like. Uh, basically, a time that is declared as a thousand years where Jesus Christ reigns with his people. And so there's been three different stances. We're just going to take a really shallow dive into what each of these camps uh, believe. Uh, most of them have to do with the, the timing of, of Christ's return and when this thousand years is. So much of the church, much of the, the Christian church that, that we rub shoulders with and interact with are pre-millennialists. And what that means is they believe that Jesus Christ will come again and that will be the start of this thousand-year reign where Jesus comes, uh, his people are caught up with him, Satan is bound and thrown into a, a prison container, and so he can no longer deceive the nations. And then during that, after that thousand years of peace, uh, Satan is released, he gathers his armies, and then there's the most unepic of epic battles where Jesus says a word and they're cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. And then Jesus establishes the new heaven and new earth and we reign with him. Uh, some of the pushback to this is if Satan is bound and there's no deception and that creates the atmosphere for peace on earth. And in Old Testament, like the book of Isaiah, it describes things like a lion and a lamb together, basically creation getting along perfectly. Uh, during that time, our, our, if people are still, Satan is bound no longer to deceive, but people are still uh, born in, in sin. And so what happens during that time when there's sinful men and women, um, and then there's more of a chance to repent and come to salvation through Jesus Christ, uh, there's, some, there's some unclarity there, right? Uh, other people believe that uh, basically the Christian faith has grown so much at that time that even though they were, there's others born in sin during those thousand years, that the Christian way has been established so greatly that there's still peace. Now, I don't know what you believe, and you probably have uh, some, you'd like to have a conversation with me right now, maybe. We're not going to do that yet. Uh, maybe you can take me to lunch, um, and we'll talk about it. We'll see. Um, and then there's, an, there's another stance, so uh, amillennialists or amillennialists and postmillennialists uh, dif differentiate between pre uh, on the order of Christ's second coming. So basically they believe that we are in this uh, thousand years now, so they don't see it as a literal thousand years, they see it basically as a period of time. And so what their belief is, is that Satan is bound. Uh, one, one guy said it's almost like a mafia boss who's in prison, but he still has all of his goons out, and so he still can make phone calls and have activity that evil exists in the world, right? I realize that could be a little thin, uh, but their idea is that his no longer deceiving the nations is basically that 
if I am in Christ, if I am regenerated, if Jesus has claimed me, bought me, and I have received his salvation, Satan can't ultimately deceive me away from Jesus Christ. Now, he might deceive me in some little areas. Uh, and again, that, there's a lot, there could be a lot of pushback there as well, right? And so that idea is that we're in this age where good and evil currently exist, the age of tension. And so though Satan is bound, the gospel is still moving forward during this time. Okay? And so basically, the point being this. There's three different takes. Uh, amillennial and postmillennial have the most in common. Um, Jesus, we're in the age of tension now. We're in the thousand years now, although it's not a thousand years. Or premillennial, Jesus comes, start of a thousand years, peace on earth, Satan's released. Um, what I just explained. But here's what I want you to remember. Uh, we agree on way more than we disagree on. Okay, so this has been an area of disunity in the church, and that is a shame, and that ought not to be so. James 3 says, Wisdom that does not come from above is earthly, natural, and demonic, for where that happens, jealousy and selfish ambition exist, and there is disorder in every evil thing. So something that causes selfishness, jealous ambition, and disorder and disunity probably isn't of God. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit, unwavering without hypocrisy. The seeds of this kind of wisdom, the righteous seeds, they produce peace and they make peace. In 2 Timothy, he's talking over and over about avoiding worldly and empty chatter, for it leads to ungodliness and spreads like gangrene. 2 Timothy 2 says, flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Be, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The reason I'm sharing you this is it's okay to have a stance. It's okay to study the Bible. I hope that you guys go back and read your scriptures to figure out what you believe, and I hope you don't do that alone. I hope you have conversations with friends and small groups to try to figure this out. But my point is this. The Bible is very clear on some things, and other things the Bible isn't clear on. And it's okay to have your leaning and your stance. I'm not afraid to get up here and declare what I believe. I just don't think it's clear. And if we spend all of our time talking about all of these details, I believe I would be doing that just to appease people and not God. I believe God has called me to declare who he is and what he is trying to do. Keep the main thing the main thing as far as I can understand it. And so that's what we're preaching on. Fear of God more than the fear of man. When studying Revelation and eschatology, that's the end times, it's all too easy to lose sight of the call of Christ, which is to live victoriously as overcomers of sin. To live victoriously as overcomers of the world. To live victoriously as overcomers of the devil and to remain faithful to him at all costs. All of this is meant to motivate faithful living. Here's a quote from John Frame. He says, So far as I can see, every Bible passage about the return of Christ is written for a practical purpose, not to help us develop a theory of history, but to motivate our obedience. So if we're picking up this word, the point is to know who God is and know what he has done for us and to respond in kind in faithful living to him and faithful obedience to him. I believe 
the book of Revelation is trying to show us what is real in the present, what is real in the past, so that we can surrender and be obedient. You with me? Okay, so here's the main things. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. If you're not, just pay attention. Number one, regardless of the camp, Christians believe that Christ is returning to earth. We call that the second coming. That's what we agree upon. Number two, we believe that Satan will be defeated forever. And number three, we believe that Christ shares his victory with Christians, that they will be with him now and for all time. Christ is coming again. Satan is defeated. And Christians will be with Christ forever and ever. Amen? Amen means you agree. Okay, so a couple things that I want to point out, and I want to get down to this uh, great white throne judgment. Let me read it again. You guys can stay seated this time. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And in his presence the earth and the sky fled away. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So here's what I believe. That every man and woman ever born will stand before their creator God, the judge of all things. And we will be judged according to our works. And if we are found righteous, we're with him forever. If we're not, we're removed from him. And so many of you have heard me before say, this, this points out two books, right? It says, their books, which are their deeds. So we have the opportunity, we all have the opportunity to decide what God will read in determining whether we are holy or whether we are not. He either reads our books, the things that we have done, the thoughts that we have had, the things that we have not done, and we will present that before a perfect and holy God, or we get to claim the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. Whose deeds are written in that? Jesus Christ. That we have the opportunity to allow God to read his works and his book and credit that on our behalf. Revelation 14, 13 said, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. They may rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Revelation 15, 3 and 4 says, Great and amazing are your deeds, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Here's the gospel. It's a great exchange. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life obedient to the Father in utter holiness. And he took on the death that I deserved. He took on my sin. In other words, he took my book, and the wrath of God was poured out on him, and he gave me his book, his righteousness. Remember in 2 Corinthians, he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become what? The righteousness of God. So this is a different way of saying the same thing. That when you stand before God at the end of time and your eternal destiny hangs in the balance, you can say, I want Jesus' deeds credited to me. That is the Lamb's book of life. Or you can decide to stand and be judged by your own deeds. 
When I read Revelation, it isn't like people aren't going to know. When this is talking about those who are removed from God, it says they took pleasure in sin. It says they practiced evil. It says they rejected God's offer. I know many times and in many places there's people who don't fully understand this, but I believe that God is set to make sure that people know what they're asking. If you ask Jesus Christ to save you, he will. If you don't, he won't. And so I think Revelation is giving us a picture of by what are you going to be judged? Your work or the work of a God who wants to save you. As I was studying for this three different times, a couple times in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament, and then implied all throughout the New Testament, it says God desires to save. God is longing for us to say, take my score, look at my resume, so that you might be saved. Another way to say something real similar is found in the chapter right before in Revelation 19. It's talking about white robes, correct? It says, Revelation 19.13 says this, as it's describing kind of this war scene, as it's describing warrior Jesus riding on a white horse. Some of us are familiar with that. We just heard about it last week, if you were here. It says, Jesus is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. So Jesus is clothed with a robe dipped in what? Blood. And his army, his warriors, are clothed in what? White, fine linen, pure. What are warriors doing clothed like priests and in fine linen? This is the gospel message. This is the exchange. The blood is Jesus' own blood. All through Revelation, it's saying the lamb who was slain, the lamb whose blood was poured out, so that we can be white. The lamb who took on death, the lamb, again, who took on sin, took my filth, took my judgment, and gave me his clothing. Scripture says that we have been clothed with Jesus Christ. Revelation 7, 14. If you're taking notes, write this down. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Their robes have been made white in the blood of the Lamb. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and exposed. Revelation 19.7, his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So a couple things. All of us, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, you have an opportunity to decide whose book are you going to be judged by? Whose works are you going to be judged by? And God is saying you can take on the work of Jesus Christ. And that's nothing that, uh, if you don't know what that means, again, I'll remind you last week when we watched that little scene, that the thieves on the cross, and he said the man in the middle said I could come. Basically, it's recognizing and acknowledging that you aren't perfect, that you don't live up to God's standard, and that you want Jesus Christ to save you from your sin, and that you want him 
to be your king and your Lord, that you want to live with him forever, and you want to step out from underneath his wrath. It's saying that you believe that the wrath of God was justly poured out on Jesus Christ instead of you. In your own way, if that's what you want, that's what you can have. It's just a crying out to God. For those of you who have done this, the clothing that you put on, we need to start to figure out what we are going to identify with. Like, are we going to continue to identify with our garments that are stained for the things that we have done, the things that we keep doing? Are you going to continue to identify with your own deeds, your own book? Or are you going to put your faith every single day and remind yourself that you have been made new, that you have been clothed with his white robe? Psychologists all over tend to agree that what you identify with determines your expectations. Meaning, people will treat you a certain way. The world, of course, this happens to me. We've heard that. You've probably heard that in your own head. It not only determines your, your expectations, but whatever you identify with also determines what you see as your potential. So if you think you're a bum, you'll probably live like it. Right? And so if you're born again, it is time to take off your burial clothes and clothe yourself with what's already yours, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That we are called to live victorious over sin, that we are called to live victorious over Satan. You don't have to create anything. It's just take a hold of what is already yours by the grace of God. If you identify with Jesus Christ, where is shame? There is none. What are you ashamed of? Stuff that you've done? What are you ashamed of? Stuff that you keep doing? Stop reading your own book. Turn your eyes from that and fix your eyes upon Jesus Christ and the work that he has done. And you will see some of those struggles collapse. God is doing a sanctifying work in his people, making them like him. Over and over it says, this is who you are, now walk in a manner that reflects it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's time we start to identify with the risen lamb, with the king of kings, with the Lord of lords. This is what it says in Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. This is in the message, so this is paraphrased. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and in everyone. So what's our job? Paul tells Timothy a few times, he says, fan the flame of the gift that's within you. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love of self-control. So we're supposed to do what from the gift? Fan that flame. He also says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. So all of this comes from a gift from God, and we're to fan it and cultivate it. We're to guard it. 
2 Timothy 4.11 says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, bringing me safely into his heavenly kingdom. We're getting ready to take communion in a minute, and I'll explain that. But I want to read a couple passages. Revelation 20 describes this scene, and Jesus describes it in Matthew 13 in a way that talks about how good and evil will coexist. And at the end of the age, there'll be the removal of evil. And so, before us is a choice. What do we want to identify with? What group do we want to be a part of? Listen to Matthew 13. Jesus presented them another parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seeds in his field. But while his men were away, the enemy came and sowed um, tares, or weeds, among the wheat. And he went away. And when the wheat sprouted and was born grain... The tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in the field? Then how does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said, Do you want us then to go and gather it all up? And he said, No, for while you're gathering up the tares, you will also uproot the wheat. Allow both to grow together until harvest. And then in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather up the tares and bind them into bundles and burn them. And then gather the wheat into my barn. Matthew 13, 36 and 43 says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And the disciples came to Jesus and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. It's another name for Jesus. And the field is the world. And as for the good seeds, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Should remind us of Revelation, right? So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks, and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So as we look at communion, what this represents is that the body of Christ has been broken for all of those who want to claim his clothing and his deeds on their account. That the blood of Christ has been shed so that we can have unblemished, washed robes as we stand before a just and perfect God. And so, if the elders could come up and the ushers could come up, and we're going to start um, passing this. And as you guys are waiting, uh, I'm going to ask a couple things. Other places in Scripture talk about what these represent is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And they are for those who know where they stand with him. They're for those who know that they are his. And my heart's desire is that all who listen today, all who sit here, can know. If you're unsure, I'm going to ask you to not partake of this and continue to ask the questions, continue to have the conversations. But if you're sure, you are welcome and invited to take this as a symbol that you have claimed the work of Jesus Christ instead of your own.
says, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And this is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. Ephesians 1 
says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with the view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Stand and sing that chorus. What he's done. What he's done. God bless you. Have a great week. Hey, take those things off the chairs. Give them to somebody you know. Invite them to join us Friday night and Sunday.